Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's take a look at Joshua chapter 8. And Yahweh said to Joshua, Do not fear, and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose thirty thousand mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready, and I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us just as before, we shall flee before them, and they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for Yahweh your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of Yahweh. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai, but Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people, to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city, and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about five thousand men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai, to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then Yahweh said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in the hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness, where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin, 
until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of Yahweh that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. At that time Joshua built an altar to Yahweh the God of Israel on Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of Yahweh had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to Yahweh and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the Law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of Yahweh had commanded at the first, to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing, and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. This is the word of the Lord. In our text today, we pick up with our context that the Israelites had just suffered defeat before the men of Ai, that they only sent up two or three thousand soldiers at the report of the spies that it would be an easy task, but they had sinned against Yahweh. One in their midst had not devoted the things of Jericho completely to destruction a couple of chapters before. Yahweh warned them if they did that, it would bring trouble on the whole people, and it brought trouble on the whole people. So the Lord did not fight for them, and they were easily routed by the people of Ai. Some of their men killed. I think it was 36. So the Lord has to begin this section now, now that Achan and his sin have been dealt with. In chapter 7, Yahweh begins by saying to Joshua, Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Here it is a reminder that once again Yahweh will fight for them. And he's going to say that, right? He's going to say, I will give it to you. He says that a couple times. We see it specifically, for example, in verse 18, I will give it into your hand. Now, a family conversation here could revolve around the idea of fear. What are some things we're afraid of. Whether you're asking a three-year-old or a 16-year-old, they can identify things that scare them, things that they worry about. Those are the things that you want to bring up and together as a family pray about. Now, you might know some ways to help a child deal with a fear. They might have some ideas for how you can deal with your fear, but ultimately we don't fear because the Lord has called us not to. Um, He has called us not to worry, not to be anxious. That's Matthew chapter 6. Not to fear anything except for Jesus himself, which is Matthew, I believe that's Matthew chapter 10. And so it's important that we would, as a family, take that time, that opportunity to pray together that the Lord would help us to not be afraid, that we would trust in him and his promises above all things, knowing that indeed he does provide our daily bread and that even if things were to go wrong in this world, nothing can snatch us from the Father's hand. 
we will be with our Savior. We will see him face to face in paradise. So this is the beauty of our faith as Christians. Cling to that and share it with your kids. So God gives him the instruction to take all the fighting men with him to go up to Ai. When they crossed over the Jordan River back in chapter 4, we had the report that there were 40,000 roughly fighting men. We're going to see, so God commands all of them. We see the numbers 30,000 and 5,000 in this chapter, which 35,000, that's close to 40. Uh, these are These appear to be rounded estimated numbers for us in this particular chapter anyway. They are to destroy completely the city of Ai and everyone living in it. However, the difference between this and Jericho is that the destruction is not of everything. They're going to be allowed to plunder this time, to take the livestock and to take the spoil, so the the goods that they find interesting to them. So this is a different instruction than Jericho. The Lord is allowing them this time to revel in that victory unlike before. This time they're going to do it by ambush, and Joshua is going to describe this ambush very clearly to his men in the next paragraph, that having been routed once, they're going to, well, they're going to deceive the men of Ai. They're going to pretend that they're being routed again. They're going to go up against them for battle. They're going to pretend things have gone awful. They're going to turn to run away. And as they run away, they know the men of Ai are going to pursue them to try and strike them down. When that happens, this ambush that they had set is going to come out and destroy the city. The men of Ai will be able to do nothing to stop it. And that's what we see transpire, take place in the paragraphs that follow. So, Verse 9 describes uh, the place of ambush as being between Bethel and I to the west of I. Just a geographical reminder here. Bethel on a map would be roughly 10 miles north of Jerusalem. I is going to be roughly 8 miles east of Bethel. So these are almost twin cities at the time. They seem to be allied with one another from what we can tell from this text. So Joshua gets up early in the morning. He takes the 5,000 fighting men with him who are going to basically be the tricksters, um, who are going to pretend to flee, while those 30,000 men have already camped overnight at a different location. So they're not traveling together in this, this plot. So the men of I see Joshua and his 5,000 soldiers. And they hurry to meet them in battle. We see in verse 14, they come out against Joshua just as Joshua planned for it to happen. Israel pretends to have lost, starts turning around and fleeing towards the wilderness, which might mean tree cover. It might mean even the mountainous nature of that territory. But what happens next? Well, again, just as planned, every man of I has left I. Not a single man remains in the city to defend it. And it appears Bethel does the same thing. So we've got two cities emptied out. Bethel's not really mentioned to us in the rest of the text here, though. At that point, Yahweh commands Joshua to stretch out the javelin in his hand toward the city of I, for I will give it into your hand. And what we read later in the text, 
verse 26, Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to the destruction. Joshua stood there with hand outstretched, javelin pointing towards the city. Hours, maybe? Hard to say, right, exactly how long this, this took. But that's what we see. That's the picture set up. It's not the first time. It's not going to be the last time that such a thing would happen. You might be able to recall Aaron and her holding up the arms of Moses as he held his staff, for example. Now, the men of Ai realize what's occurred. They turn around and they see that the, the ambush has occurred. Their city is being burned. And there's nowhere for them to go. Some of them did try to flee for the wilderness themselves, but at this point they're, in, they're trapped. They, they turn back because the troops of Israel have surrounded them. I mean, you're going to see in verse 25 that the men of Ai, well, all the people of Ai, number 12,000, Israel's coming against them with three times as many soldiers. This is a rout. It is the judgment of God. Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived or escaped. They did keep the king of Ai alive. I'm not really sure what the reasoning was for that. Um, Joshua does kill him. We're going to see that elsewhere in Scripture, too, that the king taken alive and then not killed. King Saul will later be guilty of that. In the book of First Samuel, it's chapter 15, when he was fighting against the Amalekites, he spared their king Agag instead of killing him along with the people. Now we've seen this, we've even talked about it just a couple days ago in terms of the fight with Jericho. Why is the Lord having all of these people killed? This is God's judgment. This is an important context with our children. My sin deserves God's judgment, right? He is holy, I am not. Sin cannot endure in the presence of God. I deserve to be destroyed. Now, thankfully, we could also talk to our children about why we aren't destroyed because Christ on the cross has taken away all of our sins. We can now stand in the presence of God. This is why the temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom at the time of Christ's death on the cross. All sin has been wiped out. Jesus has forgiven all the sin of men, past, present, and future. We can come before God. Holy not because I'm perfect, but holy because Christ is perfect and he gave his perfection to me, to us, to you and to me. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But here and at this moment in the history of the world and in this moment of God's plan, these people are not repentant. And they've had their chance. Right? Genesis 15 spells this out pretty well, that the 400 years Israel will spend in, in the sojourning in Egypt is because the Amorites, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God is giving the people who currently live in the promised land at the time when he makes the promise of the promised land to Abram, he's given them an opportunity to repent, to trust in him. And he waits patiently with them for generations, over 600 years, and they don't repent. 
And so the Lord's judgment comes. I mean, honestly, he has just about as much patience with those tribes as he does with his own because they're entering the promised land in 1406 and it'll be less than 700 years later, so 600 some years, when Assyria destroys Israel because Israel has refused to follow Yahweh. God's judgment upon sinners is deserved. This is not a wicked deed. This is the Lord's judgment. And he is inviting his people to carry out that judgment. That's not a, not a common thing. You're not going to have the Lord invite, most likely, any of us to do so. Although you can make an argument for the power of the sword that he gives to governments. Most of us in our lifetime are not going to be anywhere near a position like that, though. So, verse 30 brings us a little bit of a change in the text here. This is reflecting on Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, that Moses commanded Joshua, he commanded the people that when they entered the promised land, they were to go to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and they were to, well, they were to build an altar, worship God, make these sacrifices that we see mentioned here. Um, You can read more about those particular types of sacrifices in the first few chapters in the book of Leviticus, if you wish. They weren't supposed to alter the altar, A-L-T-E-R, altar, change, modify the altar to use to worship with their own tools. Just take stones. It's a natural structure that they have compiled, that they have built for the sake of worshiping Yahweh. Uh, The tools of man would have defiled such a thing. You get that in Exodus 20. You also see that instruction in Deuteronomy 27, which is, again, where this idea is coming from here. Now, at that time, Moses instructed them that they were to speak, well, they were to line up half and half, half by Mount Gerizim, half by Mount Ebal, and the half by Mount Gerizim to speak blessings upon God's people for obedience, the half by Mount Ebal to speak curses upon God's people for disobedience. And... Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim lie across a valley from one another. If you picture a valley, like a sunken area, how it would have the, then the, the hills on either side of it so that it's a valley contained by that, that's what we're looking at here. So the southern edge is Mount Gerizim. The northern edge of the valley is Mount Ebal. Uh, the city known as Shechem in the Old Testament might be uh, right about where this is happening. So... They do it, right? Afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, men, women, and children, and sojourners too. Uh, That is, they're foreigners who were living among them. We probably aren't taking this to be the whole book of the laws in Genesis through Deuteronomy, but that Deuteronomy 27 and 28 section those two chapters about the blessings and the curses being what was read here. There are other times when they do read that whole book of the law, uh, but this does not seem to be one of those. So, again, we've been disobedient. We deserve those curses, and yet we don't get them. Why aren't we cursed by God? Is a great conversation to have with our children as we remember what Christ has done for us, how he has redeemed us from sin, death, and the devil.
Amen.